My name is Micah. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. If I've not met you, I'd love the opportunity to do so. This morning's going to be a little different in terms of our message rather than just one person standing up here the whole time. I have invited several of our leadership team to come up and share their hearts. And the reason that I'm doing this is because I want us to see there's, there's one mission that we're all rallied around, that we're all going after, which we're going to talk about today. But each of us, based on the way God has made us and our experiences, sees it in different ways and lives it out in very unique ways. And so I want us to hear this morning, and I, I'm convinced that you will hear, uh, that how what God has put in my heart as your lead pastor, he has put in our hearts as a leadership team. And many of you are going to say, hey, he's put that same thing in my heart. I want to begin, though, by clarifying what I mean by we have one mission that might sound a little countercultural, I think, because we live in a time where uh, uniqueness and being different is very highly valued, where sometimes significance is derived from distinctiveness. And where that could sort of work its way out in church leadership is a church that basically says, we have to say things in a way no one's ever said it before. Right, cleverness is kind of a value. Or we have to do things no one's ever done before. And I want to take a moment to first of all applaud the desire to be creative and innovative in the way God is calling us to reach our different contexts, our different people. But one thing for all of our differences that never changes from generation to generation, from church to church, is that we are all called to make disciples. And yes, we can look at different communities which are so unique. We know that in Missoula better than probably anyone. Uh, the people sitting in the room are very unique. The desires, specific desires that have been put in the hearts of the leaders are unique. And those different unique factors inform how we do ministry. But what we're called to never changes this mission. And so I wanted to, before inviting others up to share, briefly remind us of this mission. What is it? Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, and this is the last words in the book of Matthew, if you're reading in the Bible. And in many ways, Jesus' final marching orders to his disciples. Uh, he said this in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he ends by saying, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we have here what's often referred to as the Great Commission. That's not words that Jesus uses, but it's what the church has often referred to as. Sort of the, again, as I said, the marching orders of the church. And a lot has been said about these verses, many, many sermons and volumes of commentary have been written about the command. But before we look at the command, uh, which we're going to sort of unpack in our time today, I want to notice and ask, who's giving the command? Go ahead, answer. Jesus, right? Jesus is giving the command. And Jesus begins by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why does he start like that? Think of it this way. If you were driving and you came to a stoplight and a police car pulled up next to you and gestured for you to roll down the window and said, you need to slow down, how would you respond? Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Hopefully well. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you. Will do. Have a great day, right? 
But what if some rando pulled up next to you? Some person who's been riding your tail and they come around and they roll down their window and they say, you need to slow down. Any difference in your response? See, authority matters. And Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth and anywhere else you can imagine authority being, it's all mine. There is no one higher. There is no one greater. There is no one we should be more concerned with hearing and doing what they say. His words are authoritative, they are binding, they are unchanging instructions for every follower of Jesus. And simply put, this is the mission of the church. Nothing is more important or should be at Mac. Nothing should be more pressing, nothing should more consume our resources and attention than this. But what is this? Very briefly, Jesus begins by saying, go. And reflecting on this initial command, I think most of us, if we're honest, would say, I prefer to stay. I prefer to settle in. I prefer to add on to my world, to, to hunker down, to protect, to guard. Going is this sort of radical challenge to go against what makes the most sense to us as human beings. Leave the comfort. And going isn't just some one-time event, it's a mindset, it's a way of life, it's, it's leaving behind self-interest, it's reaching out for the good of another. In order to, Jesus says, make disciples. Now Todd and Donnie are going to talk more about what that means, going and making disciples, but we get a bit of a definition in what Jesus says next. There's two parts. He says, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and what's the second part? Yes, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. So baptism is the first part, which again, as Marcy shared, we're going to do in two weeks together and celebrate. It represents a whole new life. The old is dead and gone, the new has come, and really a new identity. Because he doesn't say baptize them and they become Christians, he says baptize them in the name of the Father. You have a new Father. You have the Son of God who is your Savior and your friend and your advocate. You have the Holy Spirit who is God himself living in you. His power, his reassurance of his love, his, his guarantee of the inheritance and the future to come. You see, everything changes about who we are when we are baptized into Christ. But then he says, in addition to baptism, teach them to obey. So not only a new identity, but a new purpose a new motivation for life, a new way to organize your calendar. Can I get real with you? <laughs> a new way to uh, think about your relationships, a new way to manage your bank accounts. Teach them to obey. And, and I want us to notice Jesus doesn't say teach them to believe or agree. Lots of times discipleship is approached as if Jesus had said, teach them to remember and memorize. Everything I've commanded. Teach them to study everything I've commanded. How many have done that? Right? And we ride that merry-go-round and we're like, why am I not experiencing change? <laughs> Jesus said, teach them to obey, to do what I say. But the hardest part of Jesus' command for me personally is when he says, teach them to obey everything. <laughs> we live in this eclectic time where we are encouraged to pick and choose 
to kind of go along the, the spiritual buffet line and be like, yeah, no, I like that. Jesus said, love your neighbor. Yeah, I'm all over that. Jesus said, be generous and give to anyone who asks. No thanks, right? Like we, we pick and choose, but Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, says, everything I say to you is, is required of you. It's binding. That's hard. That's a high calling. But that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is we commit to follow him, to do what he says, and ultimately to become like him and help others do the same. And that is what you're going to be hearing this morning. That's the mission of the church. That's Mac's mission. And I could point to hundreds of ways that over the last 65 years of this church's history, the leaders have done this in all kinds of different ways. But this morning, I want you to hear from this handful of leaders and the vision that we have for how to lay down tracks in discipleship at Mac this coming year. Let me introduce very briefly who you are going to be hearing from. The first is uh, Todd Alk. Todd is our community pastor. He's been in full-time ministry in Missoula for about nine years here at Mac for the last year and a half. Um, after him, Renee Green is our leadership team director. Uh, she's been in full-time ministry for many years, but on staff at Mac for the last six years and is largely responsible for building this amazing life group ministry that we have today. Um, and then finally, Donnie Gebhardt is our associate pastor um, at Mac for six years, and he, along with Laura Wildebor, who is our director of outreach ministries, who's been at Mac for 20 years, um, she and, and he are going to share to close our time about some of the exciting opportunities and the doors that God is opening for Mac to go in this coming year. So I'm going to invite Todd uh, forward to share with us. Let's welcome him. Good morning. Uh, it's a privilege to uh, have this time with you guys this morning. Uh, as Mike said, I've been here on staff for a year and a half. We attended um, a little over a year before I got to join staff here. So uh, it's been an awesome, sweet experience of our time here as this part of this church family. Uh, and talking about discipleship of all topics is the one that I would probably geek out on the most. And uh, thankfully for you guys, uh, I only get a short portion of time this morning, so I won't be able to uh, go too long into it this morning. What I did want to do is speak primarily towards the vision of what is our vision for discipleship here at the church. Um, it's nothing new, but in this coming year, really putting some really practical uh, directions to that and how can we grow as disciples, as followers of Jesus. Right? Setting out a path that, man, this is something that we can walk because we've seen others walk it. This is something we can do because we've seen Jesus model it that will actually grow us as his followers. My favorite definition of a vision is a picture of a favorable and desired outcome of the future. Sometimes people describe vision and, I'm, you know, they can get so out in the clouds that you're like, well, what are you talking about? But this idea of a favorable or desired outcome for your future, make it specific. So for us at Mac, our vision in discipleship, our picture of a favorable and desired outcome of the future is that everyone, men and women, young and old, would grow in the grace and truth of Jesus. Our longing is that as a church family, we'd be made up of those who desire above everything else to follow Jesus and become like Jesus. Can you imagine that for a moment? 
A whole community of people from all walks of life wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus and becoming like him. People who more and more, day by day, are talking more like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, feeling like Jesus, acting like Jesus, loving like Jesus. What would that do to Missoula? What would that do to our city? What would that do to our families, our neighborhoods, our schools, our places of work? But the question before that is, how do we get there? How does a vision like that become reality? And I think the best place we can start is with the heart. It's where Jesus always started, time and time again, as he met with people throughout the Gospels. You see Jesus start right at the heart of where people were at. And as a people in Missoula, presently today, I think we sincerely have to ask ourselves, do we desire to follow Jesus and become like Jesus? Do we want to follow Jesus when the places he would lead us are not comfortable or safe or entertaining or in line with the American dream? Matthew 4.19, when Jesus first called his disciples, he said, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Other versions would say, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he's speaking to fishermen, right? Peter, James, and John. So these are men who, for their entire life up to this point, they were doing this thing, fishing. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to reorient your entire life. And everything you've learned up to this point, I'm now going to use for my kingdom. And you are going to become the people that I have called you to be as you follow me. Later on, Jesus again said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. If Jesus came to seek and save the lost and called us to follow him, and let's remember that in first century in Jewish customs, when a teacher invited a student or a disciple to follow him, he wasn't just saying, walk in my footsteps. Don't just walk where I've walked, but walk like I walk. It was an invitation to imitate and become like the teacher. So Jesus calling us to follow him and become like him, where do you think we are meant to go? To the world. To the lost people in our communities. We were not saved to keep a pew warm. We weren't saved to stay comfortable or safe or entertained. There is such a greater adventure and mission for God's people. And Jesus, with the thing that is most precious to him, invites us to be participants with him in it. This is so key. In, in the early church, right, as you read through the book of Acts, so this is right after Jesus died, rose again for sin, gave the disciples this great commission, which Micah talked about, and then ascended into heaven to be with the Father. He gave his spirit. And so then the early church is beginning to follow and be obedient to what God commanded. There's 40 recorded miracles in the book of Acts. How many of those 40 miracles do you think took place within the temple or the church walls? Of 40 miracles, 39 happened outside the church walls. 39 out of 40. The 40th technically happened on the steps of the temple, not even inside. Do we see what God is trying to say? Do you, do you think God is trying to get a point across? 
Do you think he's trying to push us into something new, this new life in the spirit that he offers us? It's not about the church walls. It's not about just coming and being in this place together. It's about how we are living and sharing Jesus outside these walls. Jesus' command to go and make disciples. See, inseparably linked with Jesus' call to follow him is his call to go. You can't pull those apart. You can't make those two separate things because they are not. They're one and the same. Come follow me and go into all the world. So as people, how do we do that? In Ephesians, right, the early church is getting these letters from the leaders and they're trying to help the church figure out what does that mean? How do we do that? I think one of the key passages we see is from the book of Ephesians. Paul is writing to the church and he says, the responsibility of church leaders is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. To equip God's people to do this work. He says, if this happens, it'll continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge, which that word means experiential knowledge, personal knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So it's our vision that we would be a people equipped for Christ's mission. A people sold out for God's kingdom. A people ready, eager, and equipped to seek out the lost in our communities. Leading people from a place of brokenness in the world to a life of fruitfulness and fulfillment in God's kingdom. It's why this year we've been shifting and moving into deeper discipleship. It's why we've changed uh, our life groups around. For years, our life groups have been going off content based on Sunday's message, which has been so good, and there's been so much fruit from that, so don't hear me saying otherwise. But at the same time, we recognize moving from just a sermon-based content to an actual discipleship content. Moving to something that is actually practically and applicably training us and equipping us to live out this life Jesus has called us to. So as we move into this year, and as overall, we just keep talking about how can we grow as disciples, there's been... Three, three major themes that we've been talking about. And as Micah mentioned, they're not new. The idea of communion with the Lord. How are we connecting with God? The idea of community. How are we being connected to one another in the relationships that God has provided for us? And how are we living in mission? How are we participating in the call that God has put on our lives? See, communion, this idea of relational intimacy and connection with God it is literally the lifeblood of the Christian. Jesus in John 15 said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Emphasis, nothing. As far as for spiritual growth and spiritual impact, it does not happen apart from our relationship and our connectedness to God. When I first came to know the Lord at 14 years old, I would say that that coming Jesus moment for me, there wasn't this drastic external change in my life. But it's hard to describe the internal change that took place. From one night, sincerely seeking the Lord and committing my life to him, to the next day, the way in which, the way I perceived the world around me was night and day different. All of a sudden, People had such value, it's hard to describe because of such a difference that it was beforehand. See, there was this moment of me coming to experience God's great love, unmerited, gracious love for me 
But at the very same time, recognizing that love is for the world. It's not just for me. And that completely changed my perspective that people are deeply valuable because they are deeply valued by God. So this beauty of as we connect with the Lord and deepen in relationship with the Lord is that intimacy with God grows our burden for the world and the lost around us. I don't know how it cannot. And so it leads us into mission, a sense of God's purpose in our life, a sense to be compelled to seek out those who are broken around us. Church, the fact is we have one life to live on this earth. We get one life. Will we spend it on the things that are eternal, the things of God's kingdom, the things that are valuable in his eyes? Or will we give it away to a million temporary things? Because I promise you, there are a million temporary things we can give our time and our devotion to. And we can go from one thing to another for a lifetime. So we have communion with God, we have the mission that he's called us to, and we have community. That Jesus not only invites us to follow him, but he invites us to be a part of a family that will follow him together. Renee is going to speak more about this in a minute, but just this idea that we were made to seek Jesus together. We were made to live out mission together. We were made to love God and love one another and be transformed by it together. And so in this coming year, as we continue to share more opportunities we have to help us grow as followers of Jesus, I would just ask if you desire to grow in your relationship with the Lord this year, if you desire to grow in relationship with others who love Jesus and are seeking after him, if you desire to engage in the kingdom work God created you to experience, I invite you to engage in some of these avenues that Mac is offering this year. I'm going to share two of them. One uh, is, as I said, life groups. We've changed up life groups to really gear into equipping people to be followers of Christ. Life groups are literally kicking off this week. So if you've missed the announcements over the past few weeks, uh, short notice, but please jump in. If you're new to life groups, uh, we're inviting you to join Life Groups 101. It's four weeks together just to talk about the mission and the purpose and the commitment and expectations that life groups are before you break into small life groups that meet all throughout the week. Love to have you join us. You can sign up online. You can sign up at the info desk. Another opportunity that we are really excited about, uh, in the spring, we're going to be offering a more personal discipleship avenue, um, spiritual mentorship. So hitting on these same topics of discipleship that we've talked about, but in a one-to-one level in which you can just come to someone and invite them into your life and say, this is where I want to grow in the Lord. This is where I'm struggling. This is where I have joy. And this is, this is where I want to see the Lord move and have someone who can walk and speak into that with you and walk with you through those areas. Man, if you've had someone pour into you one-on-one in that spiritual, uh, spiritual mentoring process, you know the value of it. It is such a deeply rich way in which we grow spiritually. Lastly, I'd invite those, especially those of you who maybe you're hearing some of this stuff and you're like, that's part of my life right now. I can say I'm growing with the Lord. I can say I'm living out the mission God has called me to. I can say I'm connected with others who love the Lord too. Man, can I just say, you're in the absolute perfect place to invite others into that. Like if it's something that we are experiencing, our next step then is to teach others how to experience that. And I'll just say we always need leaders and more leaders who want to step up. And whether that be life groups or in a couple months as we begin training for spiritual mentorship, love for you guys to be a part of that. This is our vision for discipleship. We'd love for you to join us on this journey.
I'm going to invite Renee up. Renee's going to share a bit more of our heart for discipleship in this coming year. Uh, would you welcome her up with me? Good morning, again. Um, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share a little bit of my heart uh, about discipleship with you this morning. And I kind of want to pick up where Todd left off um, talking about community. Specifically, I want to push into how God has designed us to be transformed through relationships. Uh, As I've been preparing to share, I keep thinking about what brought um, our family to this church in the first place. Um, And it it was obviously his plan for us, but he used uh, several old and new relationships to bring us here. And one of the main reasons that we stayed is because of the people. Uh, As I talk with others at Mac, I frequently hear a, a story very similar to ours. And that's not an accident. First of all, this is a very relational um, and welcoming place. But more importantly, it's the way that God has designed us to connect and grow. It's on purpose that we feel this way. Because God uses two main relationships in our lives to mature us as followers of Christ. Our relationship with him and our relationship with others. One of the many questions we've discussed a lot in this discipleship conversation is this how do we grow as followers of Christ? Like, how do I actually change? Romans 12, 2, Paul instructs us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And in John 8, 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In Western culture, when we think of mind and knowing truth, we mean logic, comprehension, and analyzing data. But these verses were written to early Christians who would not have read them as we do. They would have understood these words as they were intended. Mind and to know means our whole being, logic, emotions, experiences, everything that we are. As I've learned about how God has designed us to grow, my approach to discipleship has changed over the years. I grew up in a great church and served in a fantastic full-time ministry for many years. However, much of the focus in my discipleship experience has been very much geared towards what I now call left-brain discipleship, and I'll explain that a little more in a second. But I would summarize this kind of discipleship as this. If I just know the information, then I'll be changed. The emphasis was on learning truth and making good choices, and with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, there would be growth. Now, please hear me. Intellectual learning, teaching, scripture, study, and memorization are all critically important and will change us. But the problem with such a focus on a knowledge-based approach is that contrary to popular belief, we all need to and do use both parts of our brain. There aren't right brain, left brain people. Each side serves a specific purpose, but they work together constantly. The right side processes emotions experiences, and forms relational connections. The left side seeks to make sense of our experiences through information, logic, and truth. We process information and experiences through both halves of our brain back and forth over and over. Now, we can't separate our brain, but too often in discipleship, we tend to separate the two and only focus on one half. There's a book that's been referenced up here before called The Other Half of Church. 
some of the language I'm using is from that book, but there's many other theologians um, speaking uh, on this topic in the church today. This book explains that the, the often overlooked right side of our brain is where character formation takes place. Because it's the right side that's responsible for relational attachments, emotion, and identity. Character formation grows out of our relationships and attachment to our community. The authors summarize the growth process like this. Who we love shapes who we are. We know from the end of Matthew 28 that the primary commission of the church is to make disciples, followers of Jesus. How we go about making disciples and growing as disciples should be done in light of how God has designed us to grow with both parts of our brain. Jesus shows us this when he says in John 14, 23, anyone who loves me obeys my teaching. And in 1 John, we learned that we love because he first loved us. You see, it's because of being loved and loving back that we obey. We're transformed into his likeness through our relationship. Scripture uses a Hebrew word, hesed, for this kind of love. It's a covenant love, steadfast, merciful, loyal, faithful, permanent. It might best be described as attachment love. It's the soil for growth the fertile ground for truth to take root in. Communities that have high Hesed attachment love are transformational. There's a strong group identity and a culture of both truth and grace. Confession and repentance are regular practices, and there's also a lot of joy. High Hesed communities consider others more important than themselves. And oftentimes, we aren't even aware of the changes taking place in our lives through these relational attachments, but they are happening. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. You see, we become like the people that we are around, good or bad. But a healthy and strong identity helps us navigate how people of God act and don't act. So if we are following God together in an ever-increasing Hesed community that is built on truth, then we will see increasing change in our lives, our church, and in our greater community. There's already lots of amazing Hesed-driven things going on at Mac, and as Todd shared, we as a church are going to be offering even more intentional opportunities for you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. These different opportunities have been designed with relational attachment in mind meant to be done in community and rooted in truth. I'm excited about what's ahead, and I, I hope you will be too, because we each need to, respond, need to respond to what God is calling us to next. I'm confident that he's calling you to a, a next step, because that's what he does. He doesn't leave us where we're at. He is always calling us into a deeper relationship with himself and with others. So, uh, as I end, um, I just want to leave you with this question. What is his next step for you? Maybe it's joining a life group. Or maybe asking to be mentored by another believer. Or maybe it's just getting to know your neighbors better this year. Perhaps it's baptism, which is a public declaration in community of your changed life with Christ. 
Or maybe it's simply choosing to be more real and vulnerable with the community that God has already placed you in. Whatever he's calling you to, please don't wait to respond. Receive his ever-faithful, relentless, unbreakable, extravagant love towards you and choose to obey. Amen? Well, I want to um, invite Donnie up to close our time together. Man, uh, we're moving. <laughs> it's 12.15 already. Uh, we could talk about this stuff all day long, church. This is, uh, this is why we exist, to see transformation take place. And so uh, as we talk about discipleship and as we kind of wind down our time, I want to share with you just a few things and, and uh, some cool updates and things going on. But uh, one of my most favorite definitions of discipleship, of this, this spiritual formation, if you will, uh, comes from Robert Mulholland in his book, Invitation to a Journey. And he, this is how he defines discipleship and spiritual formation. He says, it is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And for the last few years, I've been diving into this and just nerding out and amazing stuff and loving every minute of it. But I really like the first three parts of that statement, right? The process of being formed into the image of Christ. I'm like, yes, let's do this. Like, let's do it together. Let's be changed. Let's see what God's up to. I don't really like the last part of that, for the sake of others. <laughs> because that, that, means, that means we have to go out, right? I like being together, like the church gathered. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. Let's nerd out. Let's change. But it, that's all for the point that others might experience the transforming power of Christ. And so even as we've talked about the Great Commission, uh, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, and we've heard it multiple times in multiple ways this morning, God is calling us to go. And we read that, and we might think of a destination. We might think of a missions trip. You know, we got a team going to Zambia in another a month or two, and we can think going is landing at the airport in Zambia and doing the thing. But as, as I've dug into this, and, and one of the, a few of these scholars are talking about this, that word go can also be translated as you are going. Make disciples. See, go is not a destination. It is a journey. As you go out, I love that we get to be the church gathered, but we're also called to be the church scattered. And so Christ is calling us as we go out to make disciples. So even to use the example of that team going to Zambia, as they go and they land, that's an awesome opportunity to do ministry. But we know for a fact that God is at work all around us. So as they go to the post office to get their passport, God is at work there. As they go to the doctor's office to get their immunizations, God is at work there. As they go to the airport to board their plane, God is at work there. And he says, as you are going, make disciples. So what does that entail? That entails us turning aside in curiosity to see what he is already up to. I've had this experience this last year as I've had opportunities to serve outside the church walls uh, with Youth for Christ under, under uh, leadership of Phil and Jenny Martinez. Some of you guys know them. They, they work for Youth for Christ in the juvenile justice mission. And they have the opportunity to go into the youth detention centers on multiple times a month and just share the love of Christ with these kids, these knuckleheads who Jesus loves so much. And as I've gone in there, you know, hesitantly, okay, how's this going to go? I am blown away at how God is already at work when I show up. I'm showing up second. He's already been doing something there, and he invites me into what he's doing. Church, that is our life as believers. There is so much that God is doing in our community around us, in the jobs that we go to, in the schools that we, that we go to, in the neighborhoods we live in. All it takes is us taking a moment in curiosity to turn aside. Um, 
I think about the opportunities that we have. As you get home and you need to go out to get the mail <laughs> and you see your neighbor walking out and you're like, nope, no thank you, back in the house. Like, <laughs> I'll wait till this guy's done. What if we went and took a moment and just said, hey man, how you doing? What could happen, church, if we just took a moment to turn aside in curiosity? I think about the story of Moses. Moses is there in the wilderness doing his shepherd thing, and he sees a sight that he's seen probably 100 times before, a burning bush. Hey, it's hot, things happen, right? But in his curiosity, it says that he turned aside because he noticed something. He noticed that this bush was not burning up. And out of this, this turning aside, this curiosity, he encountered God in such a mighty and a powerful way, and in that he found a deeper identity of who he was called to be, church. So what if we did this? What if we, like Moses, just turned aside in the small moments of our day, in that conversation with a coworker, in that grocery store line as we need to get home and make dinner? What if we just turned aside in curiosity and saw what God might be up to? Because he's already worked. We sang about it earlier, right? You've been faithful. All my life you've been faithful. He's at work outside these walls, church, and he's inviting us to be a part of it. So I'd like to invite Laura Wildebor, our director of outreach, up to share an exciting opportunity that we have to turn aside in courage and curiosity. Can we welcome up Laura? Yes. Thank you, Johnny. All right. So we have been talking about discipleship this morning and the different ways that we can love others deeply in our community. And it's something that we give a lot of time and energy to in outreach ministries, being shoulder to shoulder with people in all kinds of situations. How do we love them well? Um, And as we've heard this morning, sometimes God calls us to love someone who is really similar to us, maybe a fellow mom or a college student or somebody at my work. Um, Other times, God calls us to love someone who is completely different to me. And in outreach ministries, we see this happening often. Maybe I'm being called to love someone who grew up on a different side of the world or I'm being called to love someone who speaks a different language than me, or who has experienced a heartache that I will never feel. But through all of those things, we know that we can't love others deeply without God's help. So with those thoughts as our backdrop, um, I have a story to tell you about a new opportunity that God is orchestrating and putting before our church. But first, let me just frame this by saying that in my experience in ministry, every once in a while, our team will hear God's voice know exactly what he's asking, move forward with the plan, and just feel like we were a part of it the whole time. But more often than not, I have experienced that we're busy looking this direction for what should be happening, and God's like, come over here. Look, look over here. Like, I've got something going on over here. So this story is just a classic example of that. So about a month ago, I was at a meeting at the Welcome House, and the Welcome House is our church's community center in the heart of Missoula. It was a meeting about housing. Several people from Missoula were there, and at the end of the meeting we were hosting, one of the gals asked for a tour of the Welcome House. And of course, we are always happy to show the house and share what God is doing. So as we were walking around, she commented that she just loved this idea of a house as a community center. And we again talked about the different ways Mac is investing in the community. And then she looked at me and she said, has your church ever thought about doing this on the north side of Missoula? I was surprised at her question. She works at a nonprofit on the north side, so it it seemed like it could be a fair question. And I responded with, well, I'm not sure, and probably looked even a little more confused. And she continued by saying, well, I really appreciate what your church is doing, your church is doing in our community, and what would it look like to have your presence on the north side? 
and I'm sure I looked very surprised at this point, she then continued again and said, the reason that I'm asking you to think about it is that there's an empty house on the north side. And it used to be our offices, but we moved to another space a few years ago, and we were able to use it for free. And I maybe wonder if you could use it for free. We call it the stone house because of the beautiful stone exterior on the outside of the building. And the house is owned by Missoula Housing Authority, and we all would love to have someone be in that space again. So a little pause in the story here. I want to share with you that as she's talking, and I first hear that it was house, and then that they affectionately call it the stone house, um, my heart did jump a little bit. If you've been to the welcome house, you know how committed we are to the concept of home, a loving, secure, comforting place where everyone is welcome, and hence our name, the welcome house. So could God really be providing an opportunity for another house for us to love others in? So back to our story, we finished up the tour, she left, I had another meeting right away, I didn't have time to tell anyone about what she had mentioned, and sure enough, I have an email from her just a few hours later. Hey, Laura, it was so nice to meet you. Remember, we've only met one time. <laughs> Here is the info about the house on the north side. Here are some photos. Here's the contact info for the director. He would be the one to ask about using the house. It is still empty. It can't be used as actual housing because of several expensive updates that are needed, but it's perfect for office space. And on and on the information goes. I am reading this and I'm like, God, what is happening here? What are we supposed to be doing with this? So moving along, the Housing Authority got back to us within a few days that yes, the space was empty. Yes, their board would unanimously approve moving ahead. They would lease to us for free. We pay utilities. They welcome our presence in the neighborhood if we are interested. Are we interested? <laughs> After a few weeks of prayer, uh, seeing the house, discussions with staff and the governing board, um, we realized that God clearly was moving ahead of us as this crazy opportunity rolled out. A partner of the city wants to rent a house to the church for free. All we can say is, yes, God, you are working, and we will follow you into this opportunity. So where exactly is the Northside neighborhood? It's north of Broadway in Missoula. The heart of the neighborhood is across the Scott Street Bridge. It's surrounded by the highway on one side, the railroad tracks on the other, and the little stone house is right in the middle of the neighborhood on Stoddard Street. The neighborhood is full of so many places for us to get to know. There's an elementary school, several beautiful parks, neighborhood businesses, and obviously a beautiful group of people that God is asking us to love. So what happens now, we will keep updating with where God is leading. We will get a few things updated at the house and slowly get to know the neighborhood in a really gentle way. As the weather warms up, we want to invite you to come pray with us and walk around the neighborhood. We are really open-handed about this opportunity. We clearly feel God's call to be there, but there's also a lot of things that we're not sure of. We're not sure why God's timing is now. Not sure what exactly we need to be doing in the neighborhood or who is even going to be at the house every week. But most of the time, um, being not sure of where we're going is when we depend on God the most. So we're willing to dip our toes in the water and wait on him for those answers. What I love the most about this opportunity is that from the very beginning, from the time that the woman that I had met only one time mentioned the Northside House, this opportunity has been about listening to God and hearing what he is saying rather than making it about my idea of what could happen. God's saying, come over here, engage in what I already have going on. I will love you. I will show you how to love others alongside of me. And that, to me, is the true heart of discipleship. So as we finish, I wanted to share a verse with you. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. 
His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness, and his mercies begin afresh each morning. And I just wanted to remind us again that God has provided this opportunity. He is giving us a new mercy and opportunity to continue his work. Um, this is dumb. This <laughs> dumb. So crazy. Uh, church, we're going to close. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Uh, and we're closing a time of worship. But uh, those of you guys who have kids over at Matt Kids, can you do me a solid when you go pick them up? Can you just thank the teachers? Because we went really long today, and I'm sure they're not super stoked on it. So just thank them for their service. Um, but even as we talk about this opportunity to go, to go out to, to fulfill the Great Commission, um, this amazing opportunity on the north side of town. We want to pray for that, but we also want to pray just for all of this, you know, as we feel as a team just God leading us in this direction to push deeper and deeper into discipleship. Uh, all that we've shared this morning and more, there may be some of you this morning that just feel like, man, I'm, I'm, this is the year I'm going to take a step. So if that's you, I just want to encourage you to stand up this morning. We want to pray over you as the year starts um, and these opportunities arise. We just want to, we want to commission you into what God might be inviting you into this year. You might not even know what that is. You might just say, man, I just feel nudged that God wants me to grow and I want to be a part of it. If that's you, would you just stand as we close in prayer? Father, we thank you that you invite us. Lord, you see us, you know us, you want us to be shaped into your image for the sake of others. And God, you, you've given us this beautiful commission to come and work alongside you, to see your beautiful creation renewed, Lord, as, as you do work and your kingdom comes. So, Father, we pray for this opportunity on the north side of town, this amazing part of the city that you love, Lord, that you're already at work in and you're inviting us into it. God, we ask that you continue to lead us step by step into what that looks like. And Father, for these that are standing this morning, that have, that have just felt this morning your gentle nudge to take a step, Lord, um, the courage that that takes, Father, to step out of our comfort zones, God, we lift them to you. We ask that you continue the work that you started, Lord, that you say you are faithful to finish. Lord, may you continue uh, to be at work in us and through us. Father, we commit all of these things to you. We commit this year to you, knowing this is your church. We do celebrate and marvel at how you open doors and you continue to call us out of that comfort zone and that preference to want to just stay put. You lead us into deeper water and greater uh, experience of you and impact with your love. And Jesus, we are so grateful for that. We ask that this year we would experience more transformation than ever before, that we would not just learn the right things, but that we would live out in obedience to your commands, that we would come together in community and carry one another's burdens. Jesus, we ask that as you have been in the past, you would continue um, to be our vision and to give us fresh vision for what you want to see happen in us and through us.